Welcome to Shelf Logic, the official podcast of the Maricopa County Library District. Hello, my name is Caroline, and I am a library professional at Litchfield Park Branch Library. And today I am joined by Tim, a library assistant at our library. Today we are discussing science fiction through the lens of Star Trek, specifically Star Trek audiobooks, novels, graphic novels, and documentaries. Before we jump into Star Trek, let's discuss why science fiction is so important. Many authors and screenwriters have used science fiction to view the human condition. It's much easier to watch a story about tough social issues when the issues are presented in an entertaining fashion. As we did in our first and second podcast in this series, where we talked about the Star Trek TV shows and movies, we will be talking today about Gene Roddenberry's vision of the future. Mr. Roddenberry's utopian vision includes racial tolerance, gender equality, and economic equality. People in Star Trek are treated justly and with compassion, whether they are humans, aliens, androids, or holograms. So Tim, let's start by discussing audiobooks, specifically Spock versus Q. Yes, so this audiobook is um, essentially a live recording of a play between Leonard Nimoy and John Delancey, Spock and Q respectively. And they discuss, uh, the, the premise of it is that Spock has come back in time to warn Earth of an impending disaster and Q shows up to stop him, ostensibly because it violates the Prime Directive, but more or less because Q just likes to do stuff like that. Right, it's just Q being Q. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so Caroline, what are some of the takeaways you got from the audio play? Uh, well, I was very impressed by both the actors. They have parts in the audio play where like Spock is rattling off a long list of human accomplishments and he does this like two times and it's these long lists of all the wonderful things like we we were talking about one of the most wonderful things is cotton candy yes spun sugar into cotton candy right or uh, took a ball of wire wrapped in leather and hit with a curved stick into a tin cup 500 yards away and then give those men millions of dollars. Right. So this is to prove to Q that humanity is worth saving from this asteroid. Um, the other thing that I thought was interesting is, and I've said this before in our um, Star Trek podcast that everyone is extremely literate in the future. Spock proposes a contest involving poetry and riddles. And the only thing that I, I can kind of assume or think of is in a utopian society, if you're not pursuing um, power or financial gain, you're bettering yourself through um, reading and learning and education and you're going to be able to rattle off poetry and come up with complex riddles. You're going to have this kind of mind. Yeah, and 
also we should note about the plot is that the plot I believe serves primarily as an allegory for something along the lines of global warming where they discuss it earlier in the story as what Spock is presumably there to talk about but in reality he's there to talk about an asteroid hurtling to earth and the way it's described and the eventual outcome, spoiler warning, uh, that Q simply moves the asteroid back until 2028 and leaves it up to humanity to find a way to solve their own problem. So it's basically Spock is trying to trick Q into pushing this asteroid away, saving humanity by using a contest involving poetry and riddles. Yes. So Q pushes the asteroid until 2028 with the idea, I mean, Spock agrees to this and thinks it's wonderful because he knows that humanity will step up and that they will find a way to save the world themselves like you can with global warming. That that is a possibility that humanity can figure out how um, not to have a lot of cars with pollution and things like that yes. so that you can save the world. They specifically mention like different plans for it and Q dismisses the idea that humanity could ever follow through on it. But Spock believes in humanity and he uses the list of accomplishments while as part of the riddle challenge to show why he believes in humanity. So every aspect of this relatively short play is layers on layers of meaning. And it's also just a chance for two very good actors right. to be on stage together and to show off what they can do. And it's amazing. Yes, it's a very, very good. Uh, if you like Leonard Nimoy, John Delancey, or Star Trek at all, you, you really owe it to yourselves to, to listen to this, because it's very good. Yes, I'm just amazed by the, I'm assuming I've not seen it, I've only heard it, but they are on stage without a script, and the memorization they had to go through you know, that really shows they, knew, they know or they knew their craft. Yeah. Uh, so I believe that moves us along to the novel. And the novel we read was Saratoga, which is a Deep Space Nine novel. And uh, so, Caroline, what, what did you take away from Saratoga? Again, looking at the social or utopian concepts, this is a book that is based on the Deep Space Nine TV show and you have because it's a um, station in deep space you have a lot of people coming and going that are all different um, alien species and so you have different races and aliens working together there are Bolians and Trills and a new one that I'd never heard of before called a Cranid the Ferengi, Bajorans, and then human beings, different races, Irish, Latino, African-American. And they are all friends, they're all working together. And the, the basic story of it is that um, Captain Sisko 
was on a ship called the Saratoga, and they were in the Battle of uh, Wolf 359. In that battle, the ship was destroyed and his wife died. So he is going back, he's going to um, the christening of a new Saratoga. Yes. With people who had been on the ship. And that is where you get this group of people who are um, all good friends and they can work together and they're all different um, aliens and races. Yeah, I, I think one of the main takeaways from Saratoga and going to our, uh, our line of thought for running through all the series and movies is that the Federation is a utopia, but Saratoga and Deep Space Nine as a series really highlight the fact that a utopia doesn't mean you're free from problem or strife. Right. And in Saratoga specifically, you see things like a gambling addiction. You see things like disease. Uh, two diseases in particular play a big role in the story. Uh, you also see things like um, interpersonal strife and uh, trauma. And not just physical trauma, but mental trauma, scars that never really go away and how that's dealt with while still holding true to the ideals of a federation and the utopia that it represents. And it's interesting because we've seen in other um, iterations of Star Trek that medicine is very advanced. Uh, I have talked with Tim about this before and laughed over this, a scene in Star Trek IV where, this is the movie, where they are in a hospital and uh, Dr. McCoy sees a patient that's there for um, kidney dialysis treatment and he's like, oh, I can't believe this is so barbaric. Here, take this pill. And then as they're leaving, this woman is yelling, I grew a new kidney. So there are these incredible advances in medicine, yet we still have problems and we still have mental illness. Yeah, and as I was saying, Deep Space Nine as a series really delves into that, really delves into specifically war, but also that not everything is perfect, even in a utopia. And the book Saratoga deals with that as well. And I think that really helps highlight and contrast a, a utopia. Caroline mentions that all of these different groups work together, but that doesn't mean that they necessarily get along. Where you have the Cranid uh, commander constantly getting on O'Brien's nerves throughout the book, or you have Dr. Laffer who agitates pretty much everyone with her eccentricities, but when she gets injured, her lack of presence is both felt in a physical sense that they no longer have a doctor, but also that they remember all the times that she ended up saving them. And so you, you get this comparison contrast of not everyone gets along, but they work together, mm -hmm. and that's the important part. Right. Uh, but I believe that brings us to 
on that topic actually <laughs> brings us to our next subject, which is uh, the uh, the graphic novel. Uh, and Caroline, I believe you have the title there. It's Star Trek The Next Generation Through the Mirror. And um, if you're familiar with Star Trek, there is a mirror universe that was started with the um, original series. And it is portrayed as being the opposite of a utopia. The there are many differences, uh, especially when it comes to how people are treated. Um, there is a lot of uh, violence and harshness and striving for power. Everybody seems to want to be powerful. In the original um, episode for the Mirror Universe, people were trying to kill Kirk so they could advance to become captain. That is a theme in um, the Mirror Universe. Yes, and that's slightly spoiler alert. <laughs> we're talking about the middle section of a trilogy of graphic novels here because it, it is the one that feels the most like a Next Generation episode. Uh, but and I, and I do want to point out that The Next Generation did not have an episode in the Mirror Universe. So it's very interesting to see what the, the author and the illustrator came up with for a graphic novel and how they're portrayed, those characters are portrayed as being part of Just the Mirror Universe. absolutely ripped Picard. Oh up. yeah, well him and Riker, but especially yeah. Picard, which is totally different from what you think of Captain Picard. Yes, but throughout all of the graphic novels, but especially uh, the, the first one of the three, is that we see people constantly just stabbing each other in the back, and that's not just accepted, that's like, that's how you do things. Right. <laughs> but part of the reason we went with the middle one is that it really represents the contrast between the mirror universe and the utopia of the Federation. Um, in the mirror universe, they're running out of supplies because they've lost a war to the Klingons and Cardassians. They're invading the prime universe and stealing Federation supplies and all the while impersonating Federation officers to do so. And we see that in the Prime Universe there's still war and there's still strife but people eventually like move on. In the Mirror Universe things just sort of spiral and right. spiral and go further and further downhill. And one of the key things I thought was that the Mirror Universe Enterprise crew for the Next Generation series, the reason why they're actually effective is because they mostly get along <laughs> compared to other Mirror Universe crews. Oh, that's true, yeah. They, there's less backstabbing. And yeah, I, I did notice that when they would have like a meeting and they'd all get together and I'd be like, why doesn't Picard just like kill whoever for saying something wrong because that's so mirror universe. The fact that they actually act more like the prime universe crew 
means they're more effective in their own yeah. universe. And so as a comparison contrast, I think it's a delightful story. Mm -hmm. And you get to really see what the Federation represents mm -hmm. uh, because you get to see the absolute worst versions of them. <laughs> Yeah, Picard in the um, graphic novel, when he's taught, he looks at the mirror universe, um, his duplicates are duplicate and says, all our worst instincts and potentials brought to light. Yes, and the mirror universe as a theme throughout Star Trek really highlights that. When you need to show just how great and awesome the Federation is, you have a mirror universe episode where it's just like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it could be so much worse. <laughs> yeah, it really could be. Uh, so yes, that brings us now to our final entry, which is the documentary, The Captains. So Caroline, would you like to tell us a little bit more about The Captains? Well, The Captains was written and produced by William Shatner, and he's actually the interviewer. And he does a very good job interviewing the other actors who played captains. So he interviews Patrick Stewart, Avery Brooks, Kate Mulgrew, Scott Bakula, and then Chris Pine, who is the newest version of Captain Kirk. Um, and then, because it's about the captains, those actors actually turn the tables on, on Shatner and kind of interview him too. So Shatner will ask them tough questions and then they'll come right back at him and ask him tough questions. And it's a lot about um, where they came from, what their, their background was in acting, which we find out is mostly theater. Some, a lot of it's music too, uh, but there's a lot of stage work. Um, and then we just find out about different uh, um, personal things in their lives that seem to be a lot alike. Uh, yeah, it's, it's less a, an interview and more of a dialogue between the two, uh, Shatner and whoever he's with. And they become completely like different segments where he and Bakula are on horses or in a small restaurant and he, or he's on stage with Kate Mulgrew or he's sitting beside a piano with Avery Brooks. and. Every, every segment is different, which also sort of highlights a very important thing. All of these people, they have similar qualities. They're uh, very leadership driven. They're very individualistic as far as like, this is their personality. They're going to represent themselves very well. But they also come from very different backgrounds and yet they all represent Starfleet captains. Right. And it, it just sort of goes to show that anyone could be a Starfleet captain, mm -hmm. they would just have to work very, very oh, hard. Oh, yes, definitely. And that's one thing that also comes across. They all worked extremely hard mm -hmm. to end up where they were. Right, and they even talk about 
um, failed marriages and issues with their children because acting came first. They were on the sets 10 to 12 hours a day and putting all of this time and effort into the series and they'd come home and their, their family would miss them. Yeah, and they talk openly about there being resentment and mm -hmm. that there being strife. And yet their sense of, uh, for lack of a better mm -hmm. word, perfectionism, drove them to be the best version of they, their captain they could be on screen. And some of them are drastically different than the characters they played. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, we think of Cisco as a very, like, stern, um, very uh, austere man. And then you have Avery Brooks, who is playing piano. And, and he smiles through the whole interview. And it's just to him, it's like life is so great and life is so much fun. And you kind of get that from him. And he... You can tell I, I really enjoyed enjoyed it. He is all about music yeah. and has such a spiritual side to him. Yeah. And I I think another big takeaway from it is how much of this documentary goes to showcase what Star Trek means to a wider audience and what being a captain would mean mm -hmm. to a wider audience. You get the moment early on where Shatner meets the head of this airline company who says he got into the business he's in because of Star Trek. You see conventions with people uh, coming to see Shatner or the other captains all dressed up in huge crowds. Oh, and I was amazed. and It looked like just crowds of people, crowds of cosplay. I was like, I've never been to a Star Trek convention, but now I'm like, Oh, I have to have a uniform if I'm going to go. You know, everybody was so into it. People of all um, of all groups mm -hmm. joining together just because they enjoy Star Trek, and I think that's a a tribute to what Star Trek is and means. That it could be this perfect future, and it's sort of represented by the groups who get together to mm -hmm. to watch it and to pay tribute to it that everybody's of a like mind yeah everybody they come from all sort of different backgrounds but they all like and love star trek mm -hmm. and they all want to get together because of star trek right. and if there's anything that represents the federation it's that sort of idea right and so i believe that would bring us to the end I'm kind of sad, Tim. Oh. Because this is the end of our three podcasts we've done on Star Trek. A three-month journey. Yes. <laughs> Not necessarily the five-year journey, right. but a three-month journey. Uh, we've discussed uh, the television programs. We've discussed the movies. Uh, and now we've discussed the other assorted media. Right. And I just want to thank you for joining Caroline and myself as we discuss Star Trek through the lens of audiobooks, novels, graphic novels, and documentaries. Everything we've discussed today is available through the Maricopa County Library District's digital resources. As we bring this series of Star Trek podcasts to a close from both Caroline and myself to everyone, thank you for listening and live long and prosper.
Thank you for listening to Shelf Logic. Make sure to hit subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. Follow us on social media where we are at MCLDAZ. 